Kirby and Pete were the volunteer youth leaders at Northside Christian Church. And the youth group of their church was very small, but the church was formed and started in this neighborhood that was just filled with teenagers. Lots and lots of teenagers. And more than anything, Kirby and Pete wanted to draw these kids to Jesus. So they spent hours talking and praying about how they could reach out to their neighborhood. And then one day, Pete had this great idea. Skateboarding was just taking off as a hobby. And it seemed like every teen in their neighborhood was spending all of their spare time riding a board. And so Pete's idea was huge. Let's build a portable skate park in the church parking lot. And we'll have ramps and jumps and other cool stuff. And it'll all be mobile so we can roll it out during the week when the teens can come and skate. And then we can put it away for when we need the parking lot. And the teens will come and we'll have a chance to hang out with them and get to know them and let them know that we're interested in them and hopefully we can get some of them to church. Pete was so enthused and he shared this idea with Kirby who did not share his enthusiasm. Where Pete saw opportunity, Kirby saw obstacles. And Kirby had scripture to back him up. Scriptures like this one in the book of Proverbs, excuse me, the book of Proverbs, chapter 13, verse 16, where we read these words, all who are prudent act with knowledge, but fools expose their folly. Kirby was a prudent man. He was careful. He was cautious. He did not want to do anything foolish, so he took this biblical advice very seriously. And we need to understand that he wasn't just picking out one random verse to support his viewpoint. The book of Proverbs has many passages like this reminding us that a faithful person should be prudent and not foolish. So Kirby said to Pete, we need to act based on our knowledge. And what we know is this. First, the church doesn't have a budget to pay for the wood and the other materials we'll need. Plus, you and I can't afford to pay for this out of our own pocket. There's no money. And second, even if we get the money, we've never built anything like this. We don't know what we're doing and we can't do it wrong because kids' lives will be at risk. They might get hurt. And third, even if we manage to get the money and manage to get it built, our neighbors are pretty hostile to the church. And so we might build this stuff and it might never get used and all the time, effort, and money would go to waste. Now, I think Kirby was raising some valid concerns based on a sound biblical principle, the principle of prudence. Pete, though, wasn't satisfied. So he gently pushed back at Kirby and said, you know, the Bible doesn't just commend people who are prudent. We're also urged to act in faith even when we don't know everything and don't have all the answers. And Pete also had Scripture to back him up. Scriptures like this one from the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, verses 6 to 8. Without faith, it is impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to Him must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who earnestly seek Him. By faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear built an ark to save his family. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. 
Now, now here's the reality. You and I can see the results of what God does, but we can't see Him. And so to be a believer requires faith in the unseen. And we all understand that, but it's not easy to make critical life decisions based on what we can't see and don't know. And yet here in Scripture, we have an example that two of our spiritual ancestors did just that. Noah built an ark to prepare for a flood when it never even had rained yet on the earth. He did not know what rain looked like. He didn't know what a flood looked like. And yet he built a boat. A prudent person would say, Noah, you are acting foolish. The author of Hebrews says, Noah, you acted in faith. Abraham left behind everything that was familiar in order to relocate his family to a place he had never seen. He literally did not know exactly where he was going or when he would arrive. A prudent person would say, Abraham, you're a foolish man. The author of Hebrews says, Abraham, you're a faithful man. So Pete said to Kirby, we don't need to have all the answers. A skate park could be a great way to reach the teens in our neighborhood. We just need to have faith and get started. You see, Pete and Kirby were experiencing a common tension in the family of God. The conflict between prudence and faith. Risky faith. Both of these qualities are biblical. Both of these qualities are necessary. And depending upon the situation, either approach can lead to the right answer. How then could these two brothers in Christ figure out what to do? What was the right answer for their situation? How could they resolve this tension between faith and prudence? Well, they turned again to Scripture. They took a look at the book of James, chapter 1, verses 5 to 6. James writes, If any of you lack wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. So Pete and Kirby discussed that passage and prayed over it. And here's what they concluded. Knowledge only can take us so far. We need wisdom from God, heavenly wisdom, to make the tough calls. And they realized that Noah and Abraham could act because they had absolutely no doubt that God had spoken to them. Now those two men didn't, didn't know everything they wanted to know. Abraham and Noah didn't have all the answers, but they knew enough to step out in faith. They knew enough to take a holy risk. You see, they could act in ways that appeared foolish, but actually were prudent based on the wisdom of God. So Pete and Kirby said, we need wisdom from heaven. They prayed and asked God to give them that wisdom they said, God, please show us if this is just Pete's wild and crazy idea or if it's your wild and crazy idea. And a week later, they were walking around the church parking lot, 
talking about this idea, praying and asking God for clarity. And as they were talking, up comes Stanley, a teen from the neighborhood, riding on his skateboard. And he says, hey, is it okay if I ride here? Sure. They watched Stanley ride for a few minutes, and then he came over to talk. And he said, wow, this sure is a nice big parking lot. You know, it would be sure nice if you'd let me and my friends ride here once in a while. Except it's really just so flat. Wouldn't it be cool if we could have a skate park in our neighborhood? (laughs) So Pete and Kirby looked at each other. (laughs) They said, well, we were just talking about that very thing, wondering if we could build some ramps and stuff for you kids, but, but we don't know if we could pull it off. Stanley said, well... If you do, you'll make a lot, lot of skateboarders really happy. And then you skated off. Now, Pete and Kirby were convinced that they had just had a divine appointment. The need and the interest was confirmed. They believed that God had spoken to them through that young teenager. And suddenly, this wild idea started to become very real. Now, they had no clue what to do next. They had no idea how to get started. But they were convinced beyond a shadow of a doubt that God was speaking. So right there, they prayed and committed themselves to this project. And they said, Father, we don't know exactly where we're going. We don't know what to do next. But we are committed to walking through any door of opportunity that you open. And then what happened after that was rather wild. The first thing God did was prompt them to take an hour or so every Saturday morning and walk through the neighborhood and quietly pray for the families and the teens and the possibility of building a skate park. Now, Pete and Kirby knew that that idea came from God because the idea of taking a prayer walk through the neighborhood never would have occurred to either of them. It was way outside their comfort zone. But they took a step of faith and they did it. The second Saturday as they were doing that, they bumped into Stanley again. And he said, hey, I told my dad you guys were thinking about a skate park and he'd love to talk with you. So they went over and met Stanley's dad and guess what? He made his living framing houses. He was an accomplished builder. And he said, if you're going to do that, I want to help. And that got the ball rolling. And over the next six weeks, the church and the neighborhood were transformed. First and foremost, the neighborhood parents who'd been very skeptical about this church were suddenly very excited to know that the people of the church were interested in something that their teenagers were interested in. And they did some research and they found some construction plans on the internet so they could build something proper and safe. And the teens of the neighborhood joined together with the handful of teens in the church and they started to do car washes and other acts of service to raise money to pay for the materials. Stanley's dad organized a group of men from the the neighborhood and they came alongside the men of the church and together they built the ramps and the jumps and the half pipes and all that stuff that I don't even know about. And they put it all on casters so it could be rolled out during the week whenever they wanted the kids to come over and skate and it could be put away whenever the parking lot was needed for cars. It was a project that brought the community together. And the church, instead of being a foreign object in that neighborhood, became an informal community center. 
Friendships were formed as people worked alongside each other to build all of this stuff and then, and then continued to be formed as they hung out together at the skate park. And through these relationships, natural opportunities emerged to talk about what it means to live as a follower of Jesus. And over the next few years, a number of people were baptized and became part of God's family at Northside Christian Church. It was transforming for the church and the neighborhood. And it all happened because Pete and Kirby asked God for wisdom and when God gave them clarity, they responded. Virtually everything they did in that project was new, was different, was uncomfortable, was way outside their experience. And yet they took a holy risk. And God led them along every step of the way. A pastor I know describes a holy risk this way. He says... When we take a holy risk, we build the bridge as we cross it. And I really love that image. Because so often we know where we are. And we know where God wants us to go, but we don't know all the steps to get there. But He can help us along the way. And it doesn't matter what the goal is. It can be a goal like the goal that, that Noah had to build an ark. It can be a goal like Abraham had to relocate his family. It can be the goal to build a skate park to reach teens in your neighborhood. And when God gives us the goal, we just take one step at a time, trusting that it will give us the wisdom we need at every step of the way. And that's just what Kirby and Pete did. And as they worked through this project together, they gained better understanding of how to work through this tension that always exists, the tension between prudence and faith. And this is a really vital concept for you and I to grasp because it really does impact our lives and our relationships. You see, I know that some of you naturally default toward prudence. And when you're making decisions, it's really important that your voice and your perspective be heard. I know that some of you naturally default toward taking that risky step of faith. And when making decisions, your voice and your perspective needs to be heard. And we listen to each other. And then the solution always is to pray and say, God, give us wisdom. And God will make his plans known and show us what to do. And he will show us that sometimes the prudent thing to do is to stop and not move forward and do something foolish. And sometimes God will say, the prudent thing to do is to take a holy risk and step out in faith and trust me to help lead you to the goal. I think this is a really important thing for us to grasp as individuals. I think it's really important for us to grasp as a church family because right now we are in the process of taking a holy risk. We're taking a holy risk by creating a brand new position on our ministry staff. Last week I introduced you to Megan York. Megan is a senior at Boise Bible College and we just hired her to join our staff. And she's going to arrive here in June after she graduates, and she will become our first ever full-time children's minister. Now, many of you were not able to be here last Sunday, so I'd like you to listen to this short little 
clip where you can be introduced to Megan. Hello, church family. My name is Megan York, and I am 22 years old. I was born and raised in Grants Pass, Oregon, where my parents took me to Redwood Christian Church on Sundays. I attended Grove Christian Camp, and it was there that I accepted Jesus as my Savior and heard God's call for me to go into full-time ministry. I moved to Idaho in 2015 to pursue my bachelor's degree from Boise Bible College, and in May I will be graduating debt-free with my Bachelor of Science in Family Ministry. I have a heart for reaching lost people, and I am so excited to partner with each of you in ministry. I'm so excited to also be joining your church family and look forward to meeting each of you in person. It's going to be four months till Megan's here, and we'll be hearing more from her in that intervening time so we can stay in touch with her and get to know her better. A number of us met Megan when she was a junior, and we've been conversing with her on and off since that time about the possibility of joining our team. And we got very excited about Megan because she's passionate about kids and families. And she wants to come alongside moms and dads who are raising kids and invest in them and help them learn how they can reproduce their faith in their kids. And she wants to be here to help us invest in the children of this church and the children of this neighborhood so that we can help kids learn how to love God with all of their hearts heart and soul and mind and strength. And if you weren't here last Sunday, I want to invite you to go to our church website, gardenway.net, where you can listen to that message. Or you can go to our YouTube channel and you can watch it. But either way, I'd like you to hear how Megan is coming to help us fulfill our God-given mission. And I'm excited because Megan's coming not only is going to bless children, but it's going to free up Drew Williamson to focus his time and effort and attention on our growing group of youth and young adults. And so in the future, we're going to have some very focused ministry. Drew will concentrate on youth and young adults. Megan will concentrate on children. And this is a bold and exciting step for our church, but it's also a holy risk. It's a holy risk because we saw the need. We see the need. Just like Pete saw the need for a skate park. But there's a whole lot that we can't see and don't yet know. And in fact, prudence would urge us to be cautious and not add a new member to staff at this time. And here's why. Churches normally add staff when they're experiencing significant growth in attendance and giving. And we're not. Our congregation and our budget have been relatively stable for several years. So people move away or they pass away and new people come in, yet overall we stay about the same in terms of size and budget. And we have a budget without any fat. So adding a new full-time staff member into that mix is going to put some significant pressure on church finances. And then there's another factor to consider. Now, you need to know whenever I talk about finances, I do not know the details. I have no idea who gives and who doesn't. But our church treasurer keeps us informed of the trends. And we're facing an interesting trend right now. Even though our attendance is stable and our budget is stable, the number of givers in this community is slowly declining. This means then, as people move on from the church, new givers are not always stepping up to take their place. So consider this then. We have a stable church. 
stable budget. Not much room in that budget to absorb new costs. And on top of that, a slowly declining group of people who give financially. Prudence would say, don't add a staff member. And yet the need, the need is great. The need is great because our culture is dramatically changing. And I'd like you to consider this. When I came to Gardenway eight years ago, we had children's volunteers who served every single Sunday year-round. And that's gone away. In just eight years, the practice of weekly volunteers has virtually disappeared. And most of our volunteers now serve in rotation, giving one or two weekends a month at most because they have other things to do, other commitments, and they can't always be here. And as I tell you this, I want you to realize I'm not complaining, I'm explaining. Because our church is not alone. This is happening across the country at virtually every church in America. This simply is the way things work in today's world. The result, though, is that we need now about, about double or triple the number of volunteers simply to do what we've always done. And it takes huge amounts of staff time to recruit and train and support and encourage all of these volunteers. And so we're having to do so much more just to stay at the same level. And we don't want to stay at the same level. We need to grow this ministry. We need to grow this ministry because families in our culture are under more pressure than ever. The challenges are intense and they need our support children of our church and the children of our neighborhood are growing up in a culture that does not promote the life of faith. Our culture does not value the life of faith. And if we want to fulfill our mission and pass our faith on to the next generation, then we must step up our game. And so our leadership was wrestling with this. We could see that prudence and faith were intent were in tension with each other. And prudence would say to us, wait, and faith would say, go for it. What do you do? How do you get the right answer? You pray and ask God for wisdom. Our church staff spent more than a year talking and praying about this issue, and our elders talked and prayed about it, and our finance committee talked and prayed. And we talked about the discomfort of stretching our faith and the challenge and discomfort of stretching our finances. And we listened to the voices of prudence, and we listened to the voices of faith. And we tried hard to listen to God. And we became convinced that God wanted us to take a holy risk in this season. We found ourselves in the same place as Noah and Abraham and Pete and Kirby, where there's a clear goal, but not everything is perfectly clear about how to give, get there. God has just given us a glimpse of the end point. And so we're taking a step of faith and believing that God will help us build the bridge as we cross it. So we've hired Megan, who's a gifted a talented young lady, trained in children's ministry. And we believe that her service here as our children's minister will bear great spiritual fruit in the lives of children and families. And we are believing that God will work through all of us so that we can properly support her ministry. And so that together 
we can pass our faith on to the next generation. We're taking a holy risk. And when we take a holy risk, we all need wisdom. And I believe God wants to give each of us wisdom about the part that he wants us to play. And here are three ways you can invest in the next generation. Number one is to pray. And I don't say that lightly because prayer makes a difference. And I ask you to pray for Megan as she finishes her schooling. Pray that her relocation to Eugene will go smoothly. And pray that when she comes, her gifts and her training will help the kids of this church and this neighborhood become faithful followers of Jesus Christ. And pray that we will be able to provide all of the necessary resources so that we can have a vibrant and life-changing children's ministry. And number two, serve. If you're not yet serving, ask God if there's a role that you can play in helping to touch the next generation. It might be that you'd make a great Sunday school teacher. Perhaps you can come and help out at our KidMax program on Fridays. Or you know, if you're an older adult, sometimes the best thing you can do is invest relationally. Get to know a younger family in the church. And pray with and for the moms and dads and encourage them and just love on their kids. For some of the families in our church, that would make a world of difference. You see, there are numerous ways we can touch the lives of children and families. So pray. Ask God for wisdom. Lord, how can I serve? And number three, give. I believe that consistent financial giving is a vital part of the life of faith. I believe it's one of the ways that we express our worship to God. It is an essential spiritual practice. And I know that we need to increase our giving in order to sustain this church for the long term. And I know that we need to see the number of givers increase that there will be more people who will invest in our church so that together we can reach the next generation. So depending on where you find yourself, here are some thoughts for you to consider. If you are a regular giver, ask God if he might want you to give a bit more. I believe there are times when God asks us to stretch and to give even sacrificially as a step of faith. This is a time for our church to stretch. Is it one of those times for you? If you are an irregular giver, ask God for wisdom. Ask Him to show you how you can make regular giving part of your life. Because I think there's no greater joy that someone can experience than knowing that they are consistently investing in the mission of the church. And if you are not yet a giver, I want to invite you to take a step of faith. Now, as you look at your budget and your family finances, your knowledge may say, I can't afford to give. But God's wisdom takes us beyond knowledge. And so if you're not a giver, I encourage you to take your own holy risk and join us in investing in the next generation. And I would love it if between now and June when Megan arrives, we saw a measurable increase in giving 
as we respond to the challenge and the opportunity that's before us. Now, in this area of our life together, as in every other area, I do believe that it's important for church leaders to set the tone. So I want you to know that my wife and I give regularly. And every, every time I get a paycheck, the very first thing I do is make a contribution to the church. I take my smartphone, I open up that mobile giving app. Oh, I love that thing. <laughs> Makes giving so easy. And I just use that app and I make a contribution to the church. And it's always at least 10% of my income. And Julie and I have talked. We believe that God gives us the wisdom we need to navigate our finances. And we've decided that we're going to up our giving a bit. That's our own personal step of faith. To stretch ourselves a little bit. And why are we doing that? We're doing that because our church is taking a holy risk and we want to be part of God's answer. We want to be intentional about helping this church family invest in the next generation. So we've prayed. We've asked God for wisdom, and that's what he's prompting Julie and I to do. What might God invite you to do as you ask him for wisdom? 